Hi there, this is Pastor Aaron of Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church, and we pray that through the preaching of God's Word that you were encouraged and pointed to Christ, our glorious Savior. If you have any questions or comments, uh, you can find us at www.fairviewcornerstone.com, and uh, please write to us. We'd love to uh, hear any questions or comments. We pray the Lord encourage you through this sermon. Welcome all of you here this morning, and if you're visiting us this morning as well, it's great to have you. And um, we do have in the bulletins there a little slot. You can put in contact information if you like and throw it in the offering basket, or if there are uh, prayer requests you have, you could also write that on there and put it in the offering basket, and it's, we can pray for those as well in our uh, weekly prayer time. So... Uh, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn in your, in your Bibles with me this morning to Luke chapter 6, as you probably guessed, looking still at the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus preached, and I'm uh, going to take off a pretty big piece of Scripture this morning, because I think you'll see how it ties together. We're going to start reading at Luke 6, verse 37, and I'll invite you to stand with me, please, as we read together from God's Word. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourselves do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And now may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again. Father, we come to you now, Lord, acknowledging that, Lord, you have brought, as Stan read this morning, you've brought the visible into being from the invisible, Lord, you who are unseen. And God, that your word is visible on paper, it's something we can read, and yet, Lord, apart from your Spirit, we know the natural man cannot perceive your Word. And so we ask for your help by your Holy Spirit, God, that you would give us understanding. Help us not to to misunderstand Jesus in this passage, but to apply it to our lives, to uh, heed the warnings that he gives, and, God, that we would be conformed to his image as a result. And we pray, Lord, for those that uh, are here this morning and have not placed faith in Jesus Christ, that Lord, as we read this morning, that you are both the author and the finisher, and so we pray that 
that there would be that authoring of faith even as we gather now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount here, and uh, as I've mentioned before, in, in Matthew 5, one of the Synoptic Gospels, we have a much long, a longer uh, record of this sermon from Jesus, and the, the amount that Luke gives us is, is shorter, but um, when we are reading the, the writers, they have, they have specifically chosen parts of Scripture to include in their narrative for specific reasons, and so uh, for myself, the temptation is to keep flipping back to Matthew to compare or to see what Matthew recorded. But we want to take here what Luke has given us and see it in the context that the Spirit has inspired him to write it. Um, I imagine that the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most misunderstood sections of, of Jesus' teaching. Uh, in fact, I've heard it said that the verse that we start with today, verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged, is the most misunderstood scripture in the Bible. Uh, I don't know if it is the most misunderstood, but it certainly is one that we hear thrown around a lot. If you try to critique somebody or you try to question uh, what they're doing in light of scripture, often the response back is judge not, judge not, and uh, as though that is a, uh, a way to get out of being accountable before God. So as we go through this, I, I pray that we can see it in the context of what Jesus is saying uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, and we can also understand more clearly what does he mean? What is Jesus telling us uh, in these verses here together? Um, as you recall, Jesus started this sermon on the mount back in verse 20, and we're told that he is speaking to his disciples. And one of the ways we can understand the Sermon on the Mount is not how to become a child of God. It's not telling us what we must do to become part of this kingdom, but what Jesus is actually telling us is how the kingdom citizens live. How are we to live out the reality of our adoption into the family of God? And, um, of course, you could imagine within this group of disciples, you have not only his 12 apostles, um, but you have people who are looking for a free meal. They uh, maybe had some of the, the benefits of his miracles, from the, the wine or the bread, and they're just there hoping for, for something exciting to happen. You would have had people who were maybe skeptical and questioning, but they've they seen in Jesus something unique, and they were there maybe with doubts, but still understanding there's something unique about this man. Um, you would have had the the uh, phonies, the, the hypocrites like Judas who was there using Jesus as a means to his own ends and in the end would betray him. And then you have those there who would uh, be the true followers of Christ who would actually lay down their life and, and stand read from Hebrews of examples of men who were true disciples to the end and laid down their life even for his sake. And so Jesus starts this uh, section with the, the Beatitudes, which are really those initial uh, indications, those initial characteristics um, of the, the kingdom citizen. The kingdom citizens are those who are poor in spirit. 
They are those who are hungry for righteousness. They are those who weep over the brokenness of their own sin and over the sin of the world. They are those who are counted as unworthy to the world. They are not the uh, people who are are liked, um, that you're going to see praised maybe on uh, the Tonight Show or whatever. These are the the, the people that um, many spurn their names as evil, Jesus says. And Jesus, then going on, we've seen not only do these characteristics um, ring true of the kingdom citizen, of the sons of God, but these people also love supernaturally. And Jesus would give instruction on how his disciples are to live out their life, even in the face of extreme persecution, which you read the book of Acts and you see tremendous uh, struggle come upon the church. And instead, these, instead of retaliating, um, the, the sons of God, the, the children of God, they love their enemies. They do good to those who hate them. They bless those who curse. They pray for those who abuse. And when, when someone strikes them, they, they don't strike back. They turn the other cheek. And when somebody gains at their expense, they respond with generosity. These are the marks of the true kingdom citizens. And we spent a little time a few weeks ago looking specifically at verse 35. I think it really is at the center of understanding the Sermon on the Mount, that we will be known as sons of the Most High, for God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so at the very heart of understanding the Sermon on the Mount is this, that if you are truly a child of God, you will act like your father. You will start to display the fruits of that kind of life. And so as we look at verse 37 now, um, and the, the sermon title this morning is Judging with Clear Eyes, that this is the context in which we must see it. Jesus is giving instruction to the kingdom citizen, to his disciples, on what their life must look like. And so what is Jesus saying? We have these, these statements here, these principles of how we are to live out our life in relation to others. And first of all, then, this morning we see that uh, we will be judged with the same measure that we judge, that we are to be aware that when we offer judgments about people, that we can expect that same standard to be brought back upon us. What we often take this to mean is that we are never to make judgments. Well, to stop making judgments is to stop being human. Um, We, by nature, as image bearers of God, are constantly making judgments, moral judgments, preference judgments, uh, judgments about the weather, judgments about the meal we just ate, judgments about the coffee, judgments about uh, what that person just said. You know, we're constantly doing this, and I think part of that really is because we are made in the image of God. We are made as moral creatures. We have the law of God, we're told, written in our hearts that, that God has as part of making us in his image, made us a people that are constantly discerning and questioning and judging. So Jesus is not saying, don't make judgments. He's not saying, don't be discerning. Um, If you were to take Jesus' words to mean that, then Jesus himself would be guilty of hypocrisy because in a few chapters, he is going to say some very hard things to some of the religious leaders of his day and use such strong language as hypocrites, as, as uh, uh, brood of vipers. And, and Jesus, 
very much is making judgments all throughout his ministry. And in fact, as Christians, we're commanded to make judgments uh, regarding sin. We're to be dealing with uh, unrepentant sin in the, in the body according to the scriptures. So the key is that when we are making judgments, that it's not based upon our own opinion or our own preference, but that we are appealing to the scriptures and to the authority of God over us. One commentator said, what is being forbidden here is not the legitimate exercise of judgment in law courts or in church discipline, but the tendency to criticize and find fault with others. And I think this is important to understand. Um, I was flipping through the book of James this week, and one of the things that's amazing about the other authors of the New Testament that I think we often overlook is that their teaching finds its roots in the teaching of Christ. And so sometimes when, when we're reading something from Jesus that is hard to understand, a lot of times as we're reading through the apostles, we find them saying the same thing, but maybe explaining it in a way that, that helps us to understand what Jesus is saying. So James 4, 11 um, and you can see how James, this is coming right out of the Sermon on the Mount, but James maybe unpacks it a little bit more for us to understand what is going on. What kind of judgment is Jesus warning against? James four, eleven, And it says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So it is this type of judgment that sets oneself above another as better than another, as though you yourself have now become the judge and the jury and the executioner, and you are now in a position to condemn somebody um, instead of appealing to the Word of God with a spirit of love, with a spirit of humility, understanding that apart from the grace of God, you too are guilty. And do you see the difference? It is a type of judgment that is critical, that is self-righteous, and that is um, lacking humility and, and love for the person. So what does Jesus mean if we're, this is the type of judgment that he has in mind? Uh, a critical, harsh, self-righteous judgment. What does it mean that we will be judged according um, we find in Matthew's gospel, I will appeal to Matthew just for a moment, because he, quoting the same part of Jesus' teaching, um, he says in Matthew uh, 5, 7, I'm sorry, 7, 1, um, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And so, Jesus is saying that if we are going to be unkind, ungrateful, unforgiving, judgmental, self-righteous, and then we stand before the judge of the universe and we think for a moment 
that he is going to then extend us forgiveness and grace and kindness and mercy, then we are sadly mistaken. And I think there's an element even that Jesus is talking not only between us and God, but between one another. Um, It's not hard to be gracious to somebody who is gracious, is it? Someone who you see extending kindness and, and, and giving room for people's error and misunderstanding, and they're not quick to pounce upon you and point out all your wrongs, but to overlook them at times. Those kind of people, it's hard to come upon them with harsh judgment. And I think there is an element that Jesus is saying here too, that in the way we relate to one another, we can expect to be responded back. And, and of course, with children, you see this. Um, if one brother, you know, decides to call a name and the other brother decides to call a name back, very quickly it's escalated to the point where there are fists flying and, and uh, all kinds of uh, consequences being handed out. But if somebody can, can stop that progression of it escalating to the point where they're, they're ready to uh, strangle one another and, and overlook it and, and extend kindness, it often diffuses it, doesn't it? And we, to, we are to be those kind of people, not quick to judge. So the first principle is that we will be judged according to our own standard. Um, And we can expect the same standard that we use to be brought back upon us. There was one more uh, illustration of this that came to mind in 1 Samuel 25. And uh, the Old Testament, in, in many ways, is a profound illustration of the truth's of the new, as you see these very same truths lived out in the lives of people. And you'll remember the story in 1 Samuel 25, uh, 37. David and his men, had uh, they've been uh, somewhat like nomads, and uh, they had offered protection to a man named Nabal's sheep, uh, shepherds, and, and they were kind to them and did not abuse them or take advantage of their strength over them. And so David comes to Nabal and, and he's wanting some food and water for his men, hoping to appeal to the fact that they have shown kindness. And, and Nabal is harsh and he basically tells him, I don't even know who you are. I don't really care. Get out of here. You're not getting anything from me. And David and his men are at the verge of drawing their swords and destroying Nabal. And, and Nabal's discerning wife comes and pleads for mercy. And uh, David extends mercy on the count of of Nabal's wife. But we find in verse 37, God brings back upon him his very own judgment. We're told in verse 36, Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king, and Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, And his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. And listen to what it says. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. And God will do that over and over again. 
We see it throughout history from even leaders who set themselves up against God, declaring themselves some kind of sovereign power. In time, God will bring that upon themselves. And so we ought to be careful when we are condemning one another. And not only um, do we see the judgment and this condemnation very much, Jesus repeating the same thing. Um, If we're going to be condemning, we can expect that same kind of response. But then in the positive, we see this principle, that those who forgive will also be forgiving, and those who are generous can also expect back generosity. James again says um, in James 2.12, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And what an interesting phrase that James would use. The law of liberty. We are judged under the law of liberty, not under the law of Moses. What is the law of liberty? The law of liberty is that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law, that Jesus Christ is the righteous one, and that he has died upon the cross in place of us, and in his rising, he offers us forgiveness and offers us reconciliation with God. And so when we are going to make uh, judgments about one another, we always have this mindset going in the back of our mind. I am guilty apart from Christ. I have been forgiven much. I have been shown mercy when I should have been shown condemnation. How can I not be ready to forgive? How can I not be ready to show kindness when I have been shown such kindness from God? And so we are to be a people who are ready to forgive, who are ready to overlook wrong, not in the sense of indifference to it, but in that we do not take it upon ourselves to condemn it or to judge it in that ultimate sense. We see this even in the Lord's Prayer, this forgiving principle that those who forgive will be forgiven. Uh, Jesus, in teaching his disciples to pray, would say, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Do you see the principle? We appeal to God for his forgiveness but it is at the same time acknowledging that we too, if we expect to receive forgiveness from God, must be a people ready to forgive. And that is the mark of the kingdom citizen, the sons of God. Uh, For the sake of time, I won't read it, but you may jot jot it down. Uh, You'll remember the parable in Matthew 18.23, the parable of the rich king who's collecting his debts. And he has a a servant come to him who owes him millions and millions and millions of dollars and and he's about to throw him in prison and the man pleads for mercy from this king and and the king has compassion on him and says, look at this guy, he's broken, he's going to lose everything and the king forgives him all his debts and says, you know what, go on your way, Uh, I'll just... I'll just write it off. You don't have to pay me. You can go back to your family. And then as the man is going home, he runs into a friend who owes him 20 bucks. And he starts 
yelling at the man, hey, where's my money? You told me you'd give me that money, you know, for Tim Horton's coffee last week. Where is it? I want it. And the man says, I'm sorry, I don't have it right now. And the guy starts, starts pounding on him, and, and he gets the police involved, and he's all angry. And when the king hears of what's going on, he takes that man and he says he will be cut to pieces because he did not understand my forgiveness. That is what Jesus is talking about. If we, have, if we say we've been forgiven an eternal debt against the holy God and yet we are going to hold on to grievances against one another as though we ourselves are now the judge, then what, what claim do we have of God's kindness? That is the greatest level of hypocrisy. And as Jesus finishes these statements, um, and he, he gives this beautiful picture of those who, the, the generous being returned back, um, and it, it brought to mind um, the difference between buying, you know, this, this picture of, of the, the good measure given back, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put back into your lap. For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back. And I don't know if you buy maybe a a bag of popcorn at the convenience store and you open it and you realize this thing is half full of air. And and I don't care if they say, oh, it's to protect the popcorn so we pump it full of air so it's not all broken. I would rather have a full bag of broken popcorn than, you know, a third full of, like, where's all my popcorn? Um, And and you have that picture and then you go to the, the movie theater or something and there they fill it, they shake it, press it down, fill it some more until you get a bag of popcorn that is literally running over the top. That is the picture. That is the kind of response that we can expect from God when we extend generosity to others, and even again uh, to a degree from one another. Um, If we are going to be generous to one another, it is very natural for someone to be generous back to us. Um, And we we say, that's not even true of Christian people. We were in Grand Prairie, and uh, and, you know, we didn't have as much snow as this winter, but it was a snowy winter, and my neighbor uh, was on the road a lot working, so I took it upon myself to shovel his driveway one time. And he came home, and he was so thankful um, and, and just so appreciative, and I was like, it only took me like, maybe half an hour. It wasn't that big a deal. And later, he invested in a snowblower, and for the rest of that winter, he blew off our driveway. And then the snow melts and the grass starts to grow and he starts mowing my grass. I'm like, man, you don't have to keep doing this. I just shoveled your driveway one time. And, and yet, Jesus is saying, so it is for those who are eager to give. And then he gives us these illustrations and we are um, running short on time, but just look at them for a moment. I think you, there is almost a sense of even humor in them as Jesus is going to an exaggerated degree, to explain to us um, why we must be careful. And he, he gives the first parable or proverb in a way, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And he is giving this caution that, that we must be careful as people um, who we are following. We must be careful um, who we are uh, getting instruction from. And this applies not only Uh, in the business world, in the work world, but as Christians, we must be discerning. And in that time, it was dangerous for blind men uh, because there would be abandoned wells or crevices. They didn't have, you know, seeing eye dogs or anything like that, that it would have been very vulnerable. And if they are going to entrust themselves to somebody to lead them, 
they had better make sure that person is seeing clearly that that person has good eyesight. And so there is a caution and a warning to, to be discerning. And um, we continue to ask you to pray for me, to pray for the elders, to pray for those in positions of leadership that we have clear eyes to see. History is full of examples as to what happens when people are misled. We can think of extreme examples like Hitler leading an entire nation to destroy innocent people or Stalin or we think of in the more religious realm men like Joseph Smith who on claiming he had a revelation leads thousands and thousands and thousands to a false Christ who cannot save. Or another extreme example, Jim Jones leading a mass suicide, convincing people that he is some kind of Messiah, and they all drinking Kool-Aid that is uh, filled with cyanide, and and they die at the hands of this leader. The, The implications are terrifying, and we must be careful. And for all of us, we need to be aware of this. It doesn't matter if it's on YouTube or Facebook or the TV or Christianity Today or one of the most dangerous places we can walk into, which is a Christian bookstore. And you look on the shelf and you think, oh, these must all be good, solid, biblical teachers. Surely I can trust this. And you read it and you find yourselves led down a road that leads to death. We must be discerning. We must test it against the Bible. We must talk to one another and be sharpening one another. Read the old men of history. What did they think? What did they say about this? They're looking at it from a different perspective. Their blind spots are not our blind spots. We must be discerning. Um, You know, I think in many ways we feel we have lots of technology and information in our day. But I fear when it comes to the Word of God, We are not further along than our forefathers. In many ways, we are still on milk. And I'm talking about myself. You read some of the old preachers, and they were preaching things in their teens that I am just now beginning to understand in my 30s. We must be discerning. And Jesus emphasizes this again. A disciple is not greater than his teacher. But when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And there there are so many implications about this principle that Jesus is giving that that we must be seeing clearly. Um, I know there's a mixture here of people who homeschool and use the public school system, and and I was thinking either I can just avoid the issue altogether or step on both sets of toes. Uh, And so I decided to go with the latter and just step on toes gently for a moment because I I think this is important for us to think about. when we think about this principle that Jesus is giving, a, a disciple will not be above his teacher. Whoever we are entrusting to teach our children, we must understand that unless other teachers get involved, they will not exceed them. They will become like them. They, they will take their teaching upon them. And, uh, and so I would in, encourage you, um, you know, I grew up in the, in the public school system, so I guess I can speak from both angles a little bit. But as parents, do not feel that because you're not professionally trained that you have nothing to say to your children. You know that your your children are not going to go to school and get a high view of God, a high view of the Bible, a biblical worldview. So you need to be doing that with your children whenever you can. 
take it very seriously. And, and yes, there are things that, that I think is admirable. Um, I think in many ways, you, we want our children to exceed. We don't want them to be limited by our limitations. And, and so we understand that there are people who can teach my children things that I can't teach. And that's, that's uh, good to acknowledge. But don't think that you don't have a role to play in your child's life. You also must be a teacher. You must also be bringing the scriptures to them, holding open the word of truth to them, answering questions they may be struggling with. And for us who are homeschooling, uh, this principle is actually, I find very terrifying that a, a student become like his teacher because one of the scariest things I think for my boys is for them to become like their dad in many ways. It's a terrifying thought, especially when you see it start happening. Why is he getting angry like that? Why is he freaking out over nothing? It's like, well, you just freaked out over the, the coffee cream was empty. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I probably did do that, didn't I, right? And uh, we have to be careful, right, that as much as I love um, desiring to bring up children in a biblical worldview and to understand the Word of God. And we also need to acknowledge our own limitations. And we need to acknowledge that there are times when our children are going to need to learn things from someone else that we can't teach them. And we don't want to limit them in that sense either. So there is a balance there, and I hope I didn't come down too hard on your toes, but uh, good things for us to consider as we hear these principles of Jesus Christ. Of course, in his day, Jesus is dealing with leaders who are not only religious leaders, but political leaders. And Jesus is no doubt cautioning his disciples, be careful whose yoke you take upon you. Be careful whose teaching you come under, because you're going to become like them. And he is, in a sense, warning his disciples, but also us today. And then Jesus closes it with, a final illustration that I think we're all very familiar with, which is what is sometimes called the, the picture of the plank eye. Um, a rather humorous picture. I think Jesus certainly employs humor at times. So bizarre is this picture that you can hardly imagine it. Somebody who has a piece of sawdust in their eye and a friend comes to them wanting to help, wanting to get it out, but they can't because they have a beam in their own eye. I mean, the, the picture is, is, uh, is bizarre to even try to imagine it. But Jesus is over-exaggerating, so we do not miss the point that if we are going to take it upon ourselves to judge someone or correct them or give our opinion, that we better make double sure that we're seeing with clear eyes, that we ourselves are walking before the Lord with humility and that we are appealing to his word, we must be careful. And lest we be like this guy with the beam in his eye trying to clear his friend's eye of a piece of sawdust. And what are these things that are like beams in our eye? I think really two primary categories in, in our life as Christians one of the primary beams in our eye is unrepentant sin. If we are walking in unrepentant sin, doing things which the scriptures forbid, and then taking it upon ourselves to rebuke others who we perceive to be walking in sin, 
we are guilty of being like this man with the plank in his eye. We must be careful that we are walking in short accounts with the Lord. We are walking in repentance. Uh, This is not saying we are perfect, but we are aware of our own need of the grace of God in our life. John would say this in his letter, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so before you begin critiquing one another, before you begin uh, coming to someone, pointing out their sin, you better make sure that you yourselves are walking in repentance and come before the Lord and say, God, is there anything in my life that I'm doing that is violating your clear word to me? Ask your spouse. Um, They often can see you very well, as much as we can deceive ourselves. Um, Ask a close friend, do you see me walking in unrepentant sin? So that is something that can be a beam in our eye, but I think also then is our doctrine, our understanding of God can become a major stumbling block for us and and, and enabling us to correctly discern and see. Um, Now I know that... You know, even as Fairview Cornerstone, that some may think, well, Fairview Cornerstone is a church that, that takes doctrine too seriously. And, and I suppose for all of us, we've felt that in our own hearts sometimes. And, and there can be a sense of frustration. It's like, why, does, why do we have to disagree at times over doctrine? Shouldn't we be rejoicing in, in truth? Shouldn't we be delighting in it? Why does it have to be something that is at times controversial? Can't we just all love Jesus and get along is often the cry. But I want to commend you to take doctrine seriously. It is not, as much as our culture will tell us, it is the sin of all sins to claim you know something to be true. That is a marvelous, wonderful thing. And we, let us, let us hear from Paul if if we would wonder, is it right for us to consider it to be important? Is it, is it potentially a beam in our eye? Or is it something we should brush aside as irrelevant to what we're trying to do? Paul would tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching or the doctrine. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourselves and your hearers. It is so essential to Paul that we are careful, that we are discerning, that we are questioning, that we are, we are at times disagreeing because Paul says that for, by watching your doctrine, your, your understanding of God, of, of the Scriptures, you are saving yourself and your hearers. And sitting down with, with even Jehovah's Witnesses and, 
and trying to help them understand the Christian understanding of Christ. He's not an angel. He's not a creature. And you realize very quickly that false doctrine is going to send them to hell because they will stand before God on Judgment Day having no Savior. The Savior that they have believed in does not exist. And so I know that these times when we come to of struggling over things can be frustrating and disorientating, but let us press on because it is important and we want to see clearly and we want to understand and those are good, commendable things. So this morning, ask yourself, am I seeing clearly? Am I walking with the Lord? Am I extending forgiveness? Am I quick to judge, quick to condemn, or am I generous and and understanding that the goodness that God has given me, I should extend freely to others? Are you confessing sin before the Lord? Are you studying the Word of God? And if you're here this morning and you may think, okay, well, if the Sermon on the Mount isn't telling me how to become a son of God, a child of God, if it's not telling me what I must do to be acceptable to God, how, how does that happen? How do I be brought into the family of God? How do I be identified as one of his children? And the answer is what Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. None of us are naturally, in our natural man, children of God. It's not like, oh, we're the ones that uh, are somehow born in this, you know, unique uh, gene that somehow missed the original sin that we received from Adam and that somehow we are exempt from the need to repent. No, we are all born, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, we are born as sons of disobedience. That's who all of us begin as, that we come into this world with a nature bent on rebellion, bent on sin. And so if you want to become a child of God, you must be adopted by God. And that does not happen by earning his favor. He's not a father who makes us jump through hoops or do certain things before he will accept us. You see, there is only one acceptable son of God, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to be a son of God, what must happen is you die to your lineage in Adam. You say, I will, I will forsake that if I can be found in Christ. And by faith, as Stan read, you, you call upon God to rescue, to deliver you, to, to save me, adopt me into your family. And you turn from that son of disobedience and you believe upon Christ. And then, as you believe upon Christ, the Spirit of God fills you and you begin living out the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you're here this morning and... Uh, you want to understand what it means to be a son of God, essentially it is to repent and believe upon Jesus Christ and trust him to fill you with his spirit and enable you to walk in these things. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a faithful father. And Lord, we are thankful that you are a merciful, gracious father. Lord, that it as much as we want to complain about the snow and, and the weather, Lord, and it is discouraging at times, 
Father, just the fact that we get to live, we get to wake up this morning, we get to put food in our stomachs, we get to talk to one another, we get to open your word, we get to grow in our knowledge of you, and we, we get to talk with our children. God, so many things you have given that we do not deserve. Help us to be a grateful people. And Lord, help us to see with clear eyes and to live out what it means to be one of your children. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today to the sermon uh, preached at Fairview Cornerstone Baptist Church. And again, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at church at fairviewcornerstone.com. God bless. God bless.